Christian Revelations is a completely free podcast for the new Christian looking to learn more about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how to implement His teachings in our lives and the world today. And for the older Christian looking to dig deeper into the Word of God, edification, and the fellowship of the body of Christ. And now our host, Pastor Robert. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you for the rain that you have given us in this dry of February's. I thank you for this fellowship that we have here, this little family that comes together every Sunday to worship your name and live lives that glorify you. I thank you for your son and his sacrifice. I thank you for all that you have done for us, your presence and your comfort that helps us build our faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. This morning we will be reading from Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 1. But before we get to that, an interesting thing happens when we find something to believe in. We discover that whatever this task is, or project, or idea, it has captured our imagination so well that we want to give ourselves to it wholeheartedly. We become dedicated to its fulfillment. We get a desire to lead a group, or join a campaign, or give of ourselves, whether it be time, or energy, or money. Whatever it is, this new cause captures our attention and awakens our passion. We believe and have faith in what we dream of so much that we persevere, no matter the obstacles and no matter if the doors are closed in our faces. We give ourselves wholeheartedly to it because on some deep level, beyond common sense and logic, we know that it's the right thing for us to do. This is what faith is all about. Faith is at the center of Christian life. When we get saved, we are saved by faith. And we live our lives by that faith. Thomas Aquinas once said, To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. (laughs) Hebrews 11, starting at chapter 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. But what does it really mean to have faith? What does it really mean to believe? 
This is obviously an important question to every Christian. Our faith, for many people, first and foremost, has to do with acceptance. For them, they have, having faith means to give their intellectual acceptance to a proposition that they believe in or a claim or a statement that they believe to be true. There are many Christians who understand their faith in this way. They give intellectual acceptance to certain statements about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, and about the human condition. But when faith is understood primarily in this way, it becomes a matter of the head rather than of the heart. When Christian faith is seen as acceptance, emphasis shifts to holding the correct views or believing the right things to be true. The idea of faith as giving mental and intellectual acceptance to something limits our, our understanding and practice of Christian faith. What we believe to be true about God and about Jesus and about the scriptures then defines us and sets us apart from those who don't see things the way we see them. Amen. Groups form and groups split. Some are considered in while others are considered out, mm -hmm. depending on what your beliefs are. Mm -hmm. The opposite kind of belief is doubt or disbelief. When we suspect that a claim or a statement might not be true, or that statement might have to be understood differently than we understood it in the past, we enter into an area of doubt. If we imagine that belief is what God wants from us, then doubt or disbelief becomes sinful. Knowing what we believe and being able to articulate it is important. But it is this faith that is this all our faith is about. When we have gone to only the intellectual side of it, is our faith deep enough? Authentic faith has more to do with the heart than it does with the head. Genuine faith involves trust. Christian faith and Christian belief has to do with a radical trust in God. It does not mean trusting in the truth of a set of statements about God. It means trusting in God. Amen. During the course of our worship, we regularly profess our faith in God. We profess that the God whom we trust is the God who was revealed to us as the creator, who was made known to us as Jesus Christ, the God who stirred us up by the Spirit and united us together as a church. When we profess this faith, we are not simply giving acceptance to a series of propositions, ideas, or statements. We are declaring our faith in God. <coughs> We are saying that we believe in God, that we put our trust in God, and that we have given ourselves wholeheartedly 
to the service and worship of God. We are saying that we have willingly staked our lives and our future on God. American New Testament scholar and theologian Marcus Borg cited a metaphor that was used by a radical Christian of the 19th century who claimed that faith was like floating in the deep ocean. If we panic and struggle, if we tense up and thrash about, we will eventually sink. But if we relax and we trust, we will float, no matter how deep the water is. This is our challenge, learning to relax in the water, to trust its buoyancy, to let go of our fears. All these are keys to staying afloat in deep water. In the same way, we could say that to have faith is to trust in God, to believe God, to believe in his ability to sustain us and uphold us even during the difficult circumstances of life. Faith helps us to relax and let go. It helps us to find rest and find peace. When faith is understood as trust rather than as acceptance, it is, its opposite is not doubt or disbelief. It is a lack of trust. Mm-hmm. When we do not trust, we become anxious and we become fearful. Amen. To have faith means to let go of your anxieties and our fears, to give ourselves over to God, trusting that God's love will care for us. In Matthew 6, 25 through 26, Jesus tells us, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The disciples were gathered in a closed room behind locked doors filled with anxiety and trembling with fear. They had lost sight of their purpose for which God had called them, the task which Jesus had given them to be signs of God's love and proclaimers of God's good news. They felt abandoned, alone, and overwhelmed. But Jesus came to them with a greeting of peace. He breathes into them the Holy Spirit. He restores their vision, their hope, and their faith. They believe again. Their fear is gone, and these trembling disciples are transformed into courageous witnesses who testify to the resurrection of Jesus with incredible boldness, even in the face of opposition and death. They do not fear the power of men, but instead trust in the power of God. They are not deterred by hardship or persecution. They are not afraid 
of the beatings or the imprisonment. Their eyes are fixed on God and they move forward in faith despite the obstacles. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of fear in our world today. Amen. We fear our enemies and we fear those who mean to do us harm. We fear those who possess weapons of mass destruction. We fear guns and violence in our streets. We fear hatred and crime, poverty and oppression, chaos and suffering. We fear attacks on our church from within and from without. Some of us are afraid that we might lose all that we have or it might be taken away from us by others. We fear for our future, the future of our children, and even the future of our church. But First John tells us perfect love casts out fear. Amen. And God is love. Amen. God's perfect love overcomes fear and casts it out. Love holds us and sustains us regardless of what may come our way. Right. Jesus says, don't be anxious, ye of little faith. Mm -hmm. We are supposed to trust in God and trust our lives and all of our concerns to God. We must work against violence and war. We must counter hatred. These are the things that we do as Christians, but we should not be bound by our anxiety or paralyzed by our fear. We cannot hold hostage our decisions of today because we believe we made a bad decision yesterday. God is in our present. He is in our future, just as he has always been in our past. There is no power in the world that can defeat God's power, not even death. Nothing, says Paul, can separate us from the love of God. In Isaiah 43, 1-5, God says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame will not consume you. Do not fear, for I am with you. A guy named... Mike, not this Mike, <laughs> finds himself in trouble. His business has gone bust, and he's in serious financial trouble, and he finally decides to ask God for help, and he begins to pray. He says, God, please, I have lost my business, and if I don't get some money now, I will lose my house as well. Please, could you just let me win the lottery? <laughs> Lotto night comes and somebody else wins it. Mike prays, God, please, can I just win the lottery? I've lost my business, my house, and I'm going to lose my car as well. Lotto night comes and goes, and again, he does not win. 
Finally, he prays one last time. He says, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have lost my business, my house, my car, my wife and children are starving. I have always followed you. I have never asked you for anything. Please, will you just let me win the lottery this one time? And I will never ask you for anything again. Suddenly, this blinding light appears, and the heavens open up, and Mike is confronted by the voice of God. And God says, Mike, do you have faith in me? Yes, Lord, I absolutely do have faith in you. Okay, you're going to have to meet me halfway and actually buy a lottery ticket. (laughs) During the course of our lives, we are faced with many decisions. There will be times when we make wrong decisions. God has promised that he will always be with us. He does not promise good times. He does not promise wealthy times or healthy times, but he does promise that he will be with us through all those times. I remember little story about myself, the first time that I ever decided I was going to go into business for myself. Things were going well. In fact, they were better than I expected them to be. I wasn't making great money, but I was making enough that I decided I would share in my success with somebody in the form of a business partnership. Sadly, that was a mistake. The money wasn't coming in, at least it wasn't coming into my pockets. Customers were not as happy as they used to be. And when I finally decided to dissolve this partnership, this person broke into my truck and stole most of my tools. He did not care about what I had built and what I had created. He walked in to the thing that was mine, and he took it away from me. Now... I could spend the rest of my life considering the possi- never considering the possibility of going into business with anybody else ever again. The decision that I made was wrong, and I vowed to never risk making that mistake again. But now, with God in my life, the decisions that are, I make are made in faith and in an understanding that God will always be with us no matter the outcome. It would be foolish of me to hold my hostage, my talents hostage, because I am afraid of making another mistake in taking in a partner Mm -hmm. or a business associate. God has promised to be always with us. He is faithful to his word even when no one else is faithful to theirs. Mm -hmm. With a strong faith in God, we are able to make those decisions knowing that no matter what the outcome is, God is always with us, and he never disappoints. History points out that no man who had faith in God was ever disappointed. Hebrews 11 is the great faith chapter. The word faith occurs 
25 times in this chapter alone. 17 people are mentioned as examples of what faith in God has accomplished. In Abel, we have the worship of faith. In Enoch, the walk of faith. Noah, the witness of faith. Abraham, the wandering of faith. Sarah, the waiting of faith. Moses, the work of faith. In verse 32, we have the success of faith as represented in Gideon's life. The song of faith given to us by Barak, the supplications of David, the singleness of faith made known in Samuel. Through flood, fire, stones, swords, destitution, death, affliction, and torment, God delivered his people. Elijah had a very strong faith, and God answered his prayer and brought fire from heaven, consuming an altar made of stone, the sacrifice that was on it, and water. Then he answered his faith by sending down rain to a drought-stricken country. Daniel was a man of very, very strong faith in God. Nothing would subdue his faith. The threatening of the enemy didn't scare him. The threat of being in the lion's den did not stop him. God was always there for Daniel, and Daniel always had faith in God. Biblical history records that God did not fail Daniel. Nothing but encouragement can come to us as we read the faithful dealings of our Heavenly Father. Faith in God has not saved people from hardships or trials, but it has enabled them to bear tribulations courageously and come out victoriously. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us that men and women with faith in God faced every conceivable torment and death without faltering. In the early centuries when persecution was given out without mercy, men were known to sing and smile as the fires consumed their bodies. Many people today undervalue faith. They assume that it means believing without any real proof or evidence. However, this is a mistake. Faith is not gullibility. It is not simply a feeling. It is a bit more than belief. True faith towers over the simple feelings associated with belief. Paul said that faith focuses on two kinds of things that we cannot see. One, it focuses on present realities that are not seen. Our Physical eyes cannot see the realities of the spirit realm, such as God, his son, or the kingdom of heaven. Second, faith focuses on things hoped for, things that have not happened yet. We cannot currently see the new world that God's kingdom will bring. 
but that does not mean that our faith in those realities is foolish or groundless. Paul explained that true faith, faith is solidly grounded. When he called the assured expectation, when he called the assured expectation, he used an expression that may also be translated as title deed. Imagine someone decided to give you their house. He might hand over the deed and say, here's your new home. Of course, he doesn't expect you to live on that piece of paper. But he means that that document is so legally binding that for all practical purposes, it is the house itself. In that same way, the evidence for faith is so convincing and so strong that it may be equated to our faith itself. True faith involves well-founded confidence and unshakable conviction that cl is clearly focused on God. Faith causes us to see him as our loving father and trust all of his promises, but genuine faith involves more. Like a living thing, it must be nourished to survive. Faith must be expressed in words and in actions or it will die. James 2.26 says, Indeed, just as the body without spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Why is faith so important? Paul provided us a compelling answer in Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We cannot approach God or please him unless we have faith. Faith is essential if we are to fulfill the highest and noblest purpose of any intelligent creature, which is to draw close to and glorify God. James gave a challenge to his congregation in James 2.18. But, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. His point was simple. The faith that saves will always express itself in good works. Saving faith, trusting in who Jesus Christ is and what he has done spills out in love for God and love for all people. This is the wisdom of God. It is the gospel that is received by faith alone, both Christ and the Holy Spirit are given to us. The Holy Spirit is that down payment of God's promised salvation, and he is the one who produces love and generosity and a heartfelt restoration and reconciliation. This is the challenge for us today. If we say we trust Jesus for salvation, do we really understand what that means? Do we really think that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection from the grave 
was enough to save us? Do we really expect the blessed presence of the Holy Spirit to enter our lives, to wreck our worldly pursuits and draw our heart nearer to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and produce a grace-loving, mercy-seeking, restoration-pursuing attitude that only God could create. James was addressing the problem that occurs when we fail to understand what Jesus' saving work on the cross means for sinners in both their justification and their sanctification. True faith does not just know that God is one or that Jesus died for sinners or even that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father as king over new creation. True faith trusts and receives the whole package of God's promises. If we trust in Jesus for salvation, the good news is that God has also given us the Holy Spirit, and he will produce what God commands. Love, joy, peace, assurance, and obedience. We won't be perfect, at least not yet, but we will experience a taste of this good and gracious God, the God who pours out his love into our heart. Billy Graham was once asked this question. A friend of mine keeps telling me I need to have faith, and I suppose he's right, but I'm not sure what it means. Can you give me a simple definition of faith? This is how he answered. In the Bible, faith means believing in God and in what Christ has done for us to make our salvation possible, and then committing ourselves to him. The first part is belief, belief that God exists, that he loves us and sent his son into the world to save us. Faith isn't a vague hope that God might exist. It is a definite belief that what the Bible says about him is true. The second part of faith is commitment, a definite decision, not only to believe in our minds that Christ can save us, but to put our lives into his hands and trust him alone for our salvation. True faith not only believes Christ can save us, but it actually trusts him to do it. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Thank you for choosing Christian Revelations. We hope you were just as blessed in receiving the message as we were in preparing and delivering it. As always, we will welcome you back again with open arms, open hearts, open minds, and open Bibles with your host, Pastor Robert. Blessings to you all.